welcome to Filmstrip. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Nick. This is our review of A Perfect Getaway, starring Mila Jugovic, Steve Zahn, Kylie Sanchez, Timothy Oliphant, Marley Shelton, and Chris Hemsworth. Written and directed by David Tui, released in 2009 on a $14 million budget, grossed $22.8 million at the box office, and quite popular rental now for the last 10, 11 years. I mean, David Tui, man, well-known screenwriter. We reviewed The Fugitive before. He did Waterworld, G.I. Jane, all the Riddick pitch black movies, among other things. He's been a script doctor for years. This is a guy that's been around Hollywood for quite some time, and he's known to write twists into thrillers and so he concocted one about three couples two killers and all terror or something like that some nonsense on the poster <laughs> yeah totally i mean it's, it's kind of funny that we you know we're doing this right after the fugitive and uh it's wasn't even planned you know what i mean it wasn't like oh we're gonna do this like david twoey you know retrospective or anything like that it was just you know we were talking about like movies that we wanted to review and this is one that i saw you know i want to say eight years ago, something like that. It was on, uh, I don't know. I just, I got it somewhere. I don't know if I rented it or whatever, but, um, I I remember liking it quite a bit and just remembering, I'm like, Ooh, it kind of has like this kind of cool, like third act twist. But, um, yeah. So, you know, just kind of talking with you, we kind of threw it out there and we're like, Oh, this would be kind of a, kind of a good quarantine movie to talk about too, considering that these people are out at a beautiful Island, having a beautiful vacation. And we're basically stuck in our living rooms. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. Let, let's review a movie with the most beautiful scenery. None of us can go to right now. Uh, but yeah. you know, that's, that's the thing I think I remembered about this one. I remember when it came out, I didn't go see it in theaters. Uh, and I, I know I've seen pieces of it here and there, but I have never watched it front to back before at all. I kind of knew some of the basic setup. I think I started watching it once and then got busy doing something else and just had to walk away from it before any of the plot really kicked in. And I know that specifically because so much happens in the second act of this that I'm like, I have no idea what movie this is anymore. I don't remember any of this. Um, (laughs) And then, you know, the twist that, you know, you maybe can see coming from a hundred miles away, maybe not, you know, it just depends. Uh, But I like these kind of things. I like sort of B plus thriller, you know, whodunits and stuff like that. I think they're fun when they're done well. The problem with so many of them, man, is that once it's finally on and you know, oh, you're all reincarnated to somebody else or some nonsense like that, it it kind of falls apart. Like sticking the ending on one of these is tough to do. It is. It is. But I think like with this movie, though, too, is like one of the things that kind of attracted me back to it is its cast. I think this has a very, very strong cast of actors. I mean, back when this came out, I mean, Chris Hemsworth was nobody. I mean, he was, I think he, he either just got done doing Thor or was about to. And so he was kind of a little bit of an unknown, but like Timothy Oliphant is a, you know, he's a pretty well-known character actor. I mean, the guy's been in, you know, he's pretty much in everything. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. I mean, I just watched uh, Once Upon a Time in uh, Hollywood and he's in it. I'm like, I didn't even know you were in this, but I'm a, I'm a big fan of him from like Justified and, um, you know, Deadwood, stuff like this, as well as like you know, some other things that he's done where he's done some comedy roles and he's very comedic in this as well coming as, you know, being this veteran. But, um, if you ever seen something like the Santa Clarita diet, he's in there and he plays a totally like 
different character than what he would in like Justified. But then you also got like Mila Jovovich, who, you know, she's a pretty, you know, big name, you know, especially with like the Resident Evil movies and other stuff. And then uh, Steve Zahn, especially during this time, I mean, he was in quite a bit of movies. I remember him in this as well as uh, Rescue Dawn when he did with uh, Christian Bale. So he was uh, kind of all over the place back then. Yeah, I mean, and I, the first thing I ever saw him in was that thing you do, the Tom Hanks music movie, and I thought he's great in that. And again, another good character actor. He's kind of like playing dads now. That's sort of his thing. I think he's done some TV. This was right before Justified hit for Olafant, so you were mm-hmm. catching him in like, you know, I'm doing the the bald assassin gig, and you know, just whatever at this point. Um, but but you know, for me, man, like I first saw him in something when he was the the bad guy. Spoiler alert in Scream Two. And I've always appreciated like his face. He's got this Clint Eastwood meets uh, Christian Slater kind of smirk going on, but he's big and tall. I mean, he's a tall guy. He's real well built. And so he's just a different presence. And then Kylie Sanchez, I knew from Lost. Now I gave up on Lost before it ever got to the end, but I remember her in it. And so I was like, okay, yeah, I know her. And then of course, like you said, Mila Jovovich is, you know, Resident Evil. That's, and I think uh, the fifth element, you know, everybody knows that. And You have to have good character actors to pull off this kind of movie, because if you have this one big leading star, it's either going to be obvious that it's that's the person you're to focus in on, or they're going to be the obvious Janet Lee kill in the first 20 minutes. So I think it's smart to cast this with folks that you know from things, but you you know, you don't expect them to be the lead. Now, like Marley Shelton had had a whole career at this point. This was kind of the, I don't know, kind of a turn for her movie career and stuff before she got into doing what she does now. But uh, of all of them, yeah, Hemsworth's probably the most unknown of them at this time. But I mean, you look at the dude and you hear him and it's like, yep, that's Thor. Like you can tell, like, I think he's even got like the Thor body to do it. And uh, as all of them said, they all love the script and they got to hang out in Hawaii and Puerto Rico for, you know, a couple of months. So that they weren't turning that down. Uh, because oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, good grief. I mean, this is a beautiful, beautiful uh, location and it's a neat, it's a neat thing to see. Does it work entirely? I guess we'll have to get into that, Nick, but why don't you go ahead and read people the plot summary, tell people what a perfect getaway is all about. Sure. Plot summary is Sydney and Cliff are a newlywed couple on their honeymoon in the beautiful Hawaiian islands. While driving to a secluded trail hike, they encounter a couple, Cleo and Kale, who makes them very uneasy, so they end up making an excuse and ditching them. A later encounter heightens the tension more after hearing a tale of a brutal murder of another young couple on the island. Sydney and Cliff make it to the trail where they encounter another couple, Gina and Nick, oh boy, it sounds familiar, <laughs> who they connect with even though Nick's odd stories and Gina's outdoor rough-and-trumble style give them pause. While they've been together for years, Gina and Nick have yet to tie the knot. A detail Gina proudly reveals when they first meet. Sydney and Cliff each spend time with Gina and Nick apart from the others and become increasingly suspicious. This results in great laughter when we see Cleo and Kale arrested for the brutal murders which Gina and Sydney confessed to each other they thought the other was the killer. Turns out Gina was right. While flipping through the digital pictures on the newlyweds camera, she comes across a photo of the newlyweds and realizes that Sydney and Cliff are imposters and the killers. The imposter Cliff is Rocky, the high school boyfriend of the imposter Sydney, and we learned in a flashback that the two have been committing murders to assume the identities of their victims. Gina witnesses Rocky shoot Nick and attempts to escape while getting into a fight with Sydney. Rocky tells Sydney to mislead the police arriving by helicopter at the beach about, transpire, about the transpiring events, which he chases after Gina. 
Just as he's about to finish her off, Nick shows up and cuts his hand in half. Rocky dismisses Nick's earlier stories about being a veteran with a steel plate in his head, and that's where he shot him. The police helicopter arrives, and Sydney makes the fateful decision to tell the cops who the real killer is, and they shoot Cliff dead. On the medical relief aid off the island, Nick finally proposes to Gina as both declaring that they don't want to go on any, any honeymoons as the credits roll. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty good tight summary there, Dick, of everything that happens. And what's neat about this one is the big reveal happens in the second act. And I've heard it said about this movie from other reviewers. And when I read about after and listened to a few things after watching this, that the neat thing about this movie is that it actually starts in the third act. You have to get through the first hour of it before anything cool happens. And then the last 30 minutes are just bonkers to the wall with how it all unfolds it's pretty wild how this movie goes down oh yeah totally i mean i think this you know it's it's a very very methodical movie especially like you're saying in the first like two-thirds of this where it's really more about the scenery than anything else i mean they're going through this island and kind of like discovering it going it from waterhole to waterhole and yet there's sign of like a little uneasy tension the entire way but the way it's set up is you're you're two couples i mean you got gina and nick and then cliff um cliff and sydney they are totally playing it like these guys are innocent even though you kind of start thinking like okay is this nick guy is he the killer because especially in the beginning, like he's got all these like crazy stories about his like war guys and everything like this. And like the metal plate in his head kind of comes off, almost comes off like cousin Eddie in a uh, Christmas vacation where he's talking about the metal plate in his head. But yeah, um, well, not only that, you got Gina who is like the, the funny thing about wife and I are watching this and Nick's got on this Carolina t-shirt and we're like, what school is he repping? And when we find out later, she talks about being from near Columbia, South Carolina, that's the university of South Carolina will brand itself as just red Carolina. Sometimes because yep. Chapel Hill does UNC and stuff like that. So, or just goes Chapel Hill or whatever. So th- when you see Game that, talks. it's like, oh, these people are from South Carolina and there's a big difference between North and South Carolina. Nick, we both live in North Carolina. You travel a lot. So if I, uh, South Carolina is much more, shall I say country than North Carolina is at least parts of it. And oh, yeah. these are just good old folks. Like you can tell these were high school sweethearts that he joined the army because there was nothing better to do except that or work at the tire plant, you know, or whatever. And it took him on amazing adventures. He's like this special forces God, basically. But we hear him tell these stories. You're like, there's no way this guy is for real. And what you learn later on is, oh, he was most definitely the most for real thing there. And then Gina is like this crazy redneck girl that can, you know, skin a buck in front of you and eat the raw meat, smoke weed and talk shit and, just, you know, probably spit tobacco, too. And that's such yeah. a contrast to like the definite what Sidney and Cliff are supposed to be is he's supposed to be a screenwriter and she's supposed to be from the Palisades in California. So like super white, rich, boring people. Yep, totally. Yeah, and, and to talk about the Carolinas too is like I've always said like the difference between South Carolina and North Carolina is North Carolina is apologetically country, and then South Carolina is unapologetically country. So that's yes. that's the big difference between the two. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I it's totally. I mean, it's great the way they set it up though too, with like Nick being like, okay, this guy's kind of full of shit, and you totally believe Zahn's character at least in the in the first third where it's like, okay, well, you know, he's um you know, the screenwriter and you believe all his stories and you find out, yeah, exactly. It's, it's the twist where it's like, ah, Nick was telling the truth. And this other guy was just full of crap. And I like the way they set it up because they, in the beginning, I mean, they start showing the wedding stuff and yeah. 
they make it seem like they are in those pictures and they are in those videos. So you never suspect that they are not those people, at least in the beginning. And then when you start seeing yeah. it more, it's like, okay, well, they, they were very cleverly edited, but it doesn't work. Well, what, what you learn is that they, you know, they kill the real Sydney and Cliff. They come up on them as they arrive on their cruise ship or whatever to Hawaii. They, you see the brutal murder of them and they cut off their fingers. They take out all their teeth. So they're hard to identify at this point and they steal all their money and their identities. And it's not the first time they've done something like this. We'll, we'll learn as Rocky, we'll call him the, the, you know, the real name of Cliff has kind of led her into this because she was, a girl that was basically given up by her family. She bounced around from orphanages until she found this guy. And, you know, they just, they hooked it up, even though he was crazy. And he like hung this dog in front of her or whatever. She just couldn't get enough of him because she craves total attention. And he is a complete and total sociopath. Like he cannot love, but he loves the idea of being in love with her and having like a, a body to his Clyde along the way. And what you learn is that they stole the, the video camera, which is also you know, not only a camcorder, but will take stills. And they basically watched that wedding uh, uh, dinner video over and over again to get down their cadence, their life story. Like they got everything they needed to be able to build a story that they could tell people. And it's amazing what people will just believe. And what th- there's a line that gets exchanged between uh, Gina and, and uh, Sydney early on where they talk, Sydney's like, yeah, it's just amazing what you'll tell people you just met. And what you realize is she's revealing to you, like we befriended the real Sydney and Cliff and they told us all this stuff and then we turned on them when the you know the time was right and that's what they do and that's a that's a neat twist and it's neat to open up with all that found footage stuff because you don't realize at the very beginning of it you meet the real cliff and the real sydney because the close-up of her is so much you can't tell she's the one in the wedding gown and the shot of him is he just looks like another drunken uh you know uh, groomsman hanging out at the table but he's actually just hanging out with his boys yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the, the editing's clever. I mean, they show like his brother coming up and putting him in a headlock so you can never really see his face, but he's got the same hairstyle and everything like that. So you just go with it. But that's one thing I do like a lot about this movie, though, too, is like, you know, I'm, you know you've been on vacation with your wife before and everything. And like, even like me and my wife, we were just, we took like a little quick little like beach vacation, you know, not too long ago. And just sitting at the bar with like other people that are coming up there. And it, it is amazing how much people tell you about themselves, especially after a cocktail or two. And it's mm-hmm. just, you know, just the stuff that comes out of their mouth. It's like, wow. You know what I mean? I probably learned more about you right now than probably most of your coworkers know. And it is, it is interesting, but I, I do like that. Like the way it makes sense is like, okay, they're going to like, you know, they're with Gina and Nick and they're just spilling everything. And, Cliff or Rocky, you know, play, play by Zahn is like, he's totally playing this character of this like movie, a mm-hmm. movie writer. And he does not drop that at all. And you can just tell though, it's like at, at the end, you're like, okay, well he was doing that because he was trying to learn more about Nick because that was probably their next people that they were going to take over was those two, as far as taking their identities. Cause the new, cause the identities that they had right now were obviously being found out. So they couldn't carry those anymore. So they're kind of, you know, just jumping from couple to couple to couple and everything. So it's, it's, it's well thought out. 
Yeah, I mean, he even says in the in the big flashback we get that he's like, there's nobody else I'd rather be on this ride to take over a hundred other people's lives with me than you. And it's like they they have like a goal and goodness knows how long they've gone with this. They've obviously been in Hawaii a while because I think they've murdered like two other couples and they set up the other one. And we, we should talk about the way that it unfolds in the beginning. Sydney and Cliff are doing all the lovey-dovey stuff in the Jeep and you know we're getting the flashbacks between them talking and the the wedding video and what's neat is you hear them going back and forth with each other and like saying each other's names and stuff and it's it's played off like oh the cute newlyweds are using their new names but what you realize is they're rehearsing and so I, like i went back and rewatched the first you know 10 minutes of this again after the movie was over because i was like okay let me see now knowing everything how does this play the second time around and you now look and go god this is so much more chilling because you're watching them dress rehearse what their act is going to be along the way and that's when they bump into Cleo and Kale. And from what I understand, there was more of these people and it got cut from the movie. Marley Shelton has nothing to do in this movie. And Hemsworth just gets a couple of you know gruff lines and then a speech later. But it's uh, it's the first act of red herrings is the whole point. Because you meet these, these two people and they're hitchhiking along the way. And you've already seen that there's this newspaper of the brutal you know murder going on. And these people are obviously like, oh, yeah, let's be nice and give people a, a ride. And then there's just something about Cleo and Kale that just puts them off. And what's so neat is when they bump into them later at the campsite, Kale totally calls out Cliff for like, you lie a lot for a living, don't you? And you think you're pretty good at it, but you're actually not. And it's like he has totally figured this guy out because he, he judged him just because of the way he looks. And he's kind of a bohemian. He's not the standard issue. So he must be bad news. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a total red herring, and I think it's just it's so obvious that it can't be them that I never once believed that it would be them. And I, I just think the whole thing too. I think you know when you see like the the you know Steve Zahn and Mila Jovovich is that I think that originally I think they were kind of like okay maybe this is another couple that we can you know be doppelgangers to and everything like this. But I think there was something about him I think that kind of turned you know Cliff off or Rocky off, or I, I think it was like okay, these guys are kind of wild cards in a way, so we're not going to mess with them because they might be able to do damage to us and we're not going to do it. So I think they saw Nick and uh, you know his girl, his girlfriend is more of like the safe option, especially because he was doubting the entire military stuff the entire time. Yeah, I think too, they, Rocky quickly summed up, Cleo and Kale ain't got nothing worth stealing because their that luggage is, is just like a bag, like a paper bag or something, basically. And he's like, hmm, okay, yeah, I can't get anything from these people, so why bother with them? Because that's what sociopaths do. They only engage with people they can you know, manipulate in some way. I can't get anything off these things. Plus... Chris Hemsworth could probably sit on Steve Zahn and kill him. Not that Timothy Oliphant is, you know, much, not much bigger too than, than Zahn, but at least he's kind of leaner and maybe I could take him if I get the right angle. But Hemsworth would kill this guy. And there's no way Yogevich could pass for Marley Shelton, like at all. Like they, they don't look anything close enough alike to be able to pull that off. Yeah, that's the one thing, too, is like what's Chris Hemworth is like you could tell like, OK, either he just did Thor, he's getting the Thor, but they totally play him up, you know, just because of his muscular physique where you could just tell Timothy Oliphant's a, a well, you know, really a well-shaped guy, but they cover him up the almost the entire movie because that's the whole thing. It's like they probably don't want to. And, and if you know who Steve Zahn is, I mean, he's he's kind of like, uh, <laughs> I don't know, he always reminds me of 
um, the guy who played uh, Samwise in Lord of the Rings. Uh, what's his name? Oh, Sean Astin. Yeah, he's got yeah, a little bit of that and a little bit of Martin Short in him. That's, that's yeah, of- you know, he's just a very unimposing guy. So I think it's kind of like, well, we got these two pretty well big big guys around him and everything like that. So they try to, I think, cover up Timothy Oliphant as much as they can. So they make it a little bit more plausible if they have to get into a fight. But uh, yeah, it's, it's just one of those things where it's just like, yeah, it's kind of go a little bit of a suspension of disbelief, but then again, it's like, well, maybe this character has got a real big case of Napoleon syndrome as well. Could be. I mean, we don't really know what Rocky's thing is other than he's just a bad boy. I mean, that's what we get later on when and drugs when, and crap yeah, with, with Gina and, and uh, Sydney are kind of trading stories and Sydney sort of lays out the, what's what the real Sydney's life is. Oh, I just want to have a big house and our kids and, you know, just uh, be a famous person's wife and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, I love how Gina calls her out like, yeah, you know, let me tell you a story about my real life. And she talks about like the preacher who was screwing some guy behind the Waffle House, which my wife and I both hilariously laughed at because we're like, yes, could totally see this happening and have no stories <laughs> like that. But how just brash she is, but not like rude, but just very transparent. Like, look, I am what I am. Deal with it, you know. And yeah. and she's trying to get Gina to or uh, Sydney to really tell her something. So Sydney really tells her something. I mean, that, I think that's a real story about my parents decided to split up and they decided to take two kids each. The problem was there were five of us. So as the oldest one, I did the foster thing. That didn't really work out. And then I met this guy named Rocky. And oh man, you know, he was a bad boy, but goodness gracious, I was you know making out with him in the truck. And the next thing I know, he's showing me this hung dog and telling me he'll he'll kill me if I tell anybody about it. But I, you know, I couldn't let him go. And Gina's like, Yeah, he had a great truck though, right? One door wasn't painted right, but she just couldn't let him go, right? Because she's been with the loser guys too, before obviously she went with Nick. And that's what's funny is you think these two women are relating to one another. And Sydney talks earlier about like, I can get this woman to talk and open up because girls talk, you know, and she's not wrong. Like they have this connection and have this, this whole conversation going while on the other hand, you can tell Nick like has, he's not BSing us with all his special forces stuff. And I have to just tell a little personal story. My brother-in-law, I've mentioned him before several times. I call him like the real life GI Joe because he is a special forces uh, veteran and still, still in the service. And he kind of has some of that same, I don't know, radar about people. Like he can just tell when somebody is not being straight with him and he'll just let it go just long enough till you can catch him in it. And you know, just the same way that Timothy Oliphant's character does here. And I just thought that was a neat detail that we think this guy may be BSing us all the way. And maybe he is just to get, uh, you know, Cliff to talk more, but clearly he has sized him up very quickly that like, I cannot trust this guy at all. Yeah, totally. I think that's, I think it's, I do like what you're saying though. It's like, it's, it's a strange juxtaposition between the females and the males, because I've always said this too. I'm like, women talk and guys brag, you know what I mean? Where it's like, you see the girls there and they're, they're trying to get like on the same level as each other. But then you got guys like Nick and then cliff. And it seems like they're kind of like, they're doing that one up in game the entire time. You know what I mean? Where it's like, Oh, I'm going to talk about like my Hollywood contacts and the scripts I'm writing. And then he's going to tell like, you know, one of his like, you know, soldier of fortune stories and everything like this. But yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing. It's like, you, you can kind of see like, with Nick, especially towards the end of the movie, because this movie has a lot of like almost like Fight Club. You know what I mean? Where you talked about mm. you went back and watched the first 10 minutes just to see, like, okay, does this work knowing the twist? And we've all done that with Fight Club, where we're like, okay, you got to go back and rewatch this to see if it works. And it does work. But that's the other aspect of it, though, too, is you're watching him and you're seeing, like, okay, well, yeah, he is sizing him up the entire time. 
And it's almost like he's telling him these stories to kind of see his reaction and how he's doing it because it is like he is, he is a soldier. And that's probably, you know, like one of his things is being able to judge people who are foreign to you quickly to be able to see if they're a threat. And I totally believe that the entire time he kind of had that inclination that like, okay, this guy isn't on the up and up. He is some type of a threat to me, even though he does end up kind of turning his back at the worst possible time at the end. Well, he does this great test too. When they're setting up the camping site, he tosses a hatchet kind of underhanded at cliff and the normal person who is a Hollywood screenwriter and doesn't do this outdoorsy stuff would probably jump out of the way, right? Cliff catches that sucker with two hands, like perfect, like exactly how you're supposed to catches on the handle, not the blade pulls it away from his body when he's doing it. Like that's, that's like a boy scout thing. And especially an army thing is how you keep your know, bladed stuff away from you. And he has, a, Nick has this great line said, pretty good catch for a screenwriter. And in other words, like, you're not really telling me everything you're about. And that's okay. Cause I'm figuring it out. I just want you to know that I know. And I thought that was a, just a great little detail. And you can almost see the look on, on Steve Zahn's face is like, Oh crap. Did I give it away too early? Cause I mean, he, he definitely is a good actor as most sociopaths are. Yeah, totally. And I think that's even when they could decide like what, when they got the two couples and this was before kale and, you know, and, and his girlfriend are captured by the authorities is they set it up a, a tent and, you know, they're, they're cooking some meat and everything like this. And uh, Nick is kind of thinking, he's like, okay, well, I think we're being tailed here by people. And so they've all heard the story about how this couple was killed. And the movie's telling you, it's like, okay, it's, it's Kale and, you know, it's, these are the murderers. So they're going out in the, they go out into the wilderness there, like kind of on this like little, like, we're going to be hunting and trying to see who's there. And I totally think it's a play by Nick to be able to see like how this guy carries himself. Oh, completely. Because he tosses him that hatchet and he's, he's put together this like real complex bow and arrow thing real quick. And when you're watching him do it, it's what I call the gun porn scene of a movie that doesn't really have guns in it, except till the very end you're watching the army guy and he's talking the whole time. And that's the coolest thing about military guys is because they are really drilled to strip weapons, blindfolded. Like they can do that stuff. And he's carried on this whole conversation while he's putting this thing together and you're watching Steve Zahn watch him do it and he realizes like, oh shit, man, this guy's going to be a problem to deal with. Like, I'm going to have to get behind him and jump him at the right moment because this dude is for real. Totally. And I think that's even why in that scene too, where like Nick kind of gets ahead of him and kind of gets out of sight is I have a feeling that he knew who those people were in there and it, they weren't a threat. I just, I got a feeling that he was almost kind of like trying to reverse track Cliff to kind of see what he was going to do. Yeah, it turns out that it's the guide from the store where they got their, you have to have passes because this place is, it's not easily gotten to, but it's like heavily patrolled by the cops from the air and stuff. There's lots of park rangers because that's how Hawaii keeps its beauties. They'll let just anybody go up there and they make sure you know you do what you're supposed to do. And you it's like having a fishing license for the day. You got to produce that sucker or else you know, it's going to be a problem. And so the guy comes and, and Cliff knocks him down. He's about to hit him with the ax. He's like, whoa, 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 man, it's just me. And he's like, why are you following me? He said, hey, man, this ain't the mainland. We do that out here. Like we try to take yeah. care of you. And I haven't had friends that have gone to Hawaii family went to Hawaii. They, you know, they've all told me before, like the hospitality is through the roof there because that's their livelihood. They know that. And it's also just kind of the Island culture too. And it's just how they are. It's welcoming people. And I thought that was neat though, because what you don't realize is that just in the background, you see the shadow move and you're supposed to think like that's kale following him around on the other side, but it's actually Nick circling back going, aha. Uh -huh. 
okay, so you do know what you're doing. Now I know you're not who you say you are. Now, now we get to the next scene, though, and that's where Kale and his girlfriend are picked up by the patrol. I guess this is my one question with the movie is why did they get picked up? Who kind of well, led them onto the police? I got, I got you on that. That's a great question. So we see Cliff fooling around with his cell phone, and we realize like it, this is like pre-smartphones taking over the world. So he's got this great Nokia phone uh, that can get on the Internet, on Google, out in the middle of Hawaii. And he's he's finally figured out he's reading a story about the murdered couple and there's this picture that won't quite load. And that's what, what you realize watching it in retrospect is like, oh, he's realizing like, hey, we're going to have to dump these identities sooner than we thought because they are on to us. They got a picture of us, you know, yada, yada. But he's had this encounter with Kale, too, who's called him out for being bull. And then Kale kind of walks off and he leaves his stuff there and you see uh, Cliff look at it and then it cuts away and you don't ever see anything else. Well, then the flashback, you realize he's carrying around like a Tic Tac box with a bunch of teeth in it. And he's carrying around the tool he used to, you know, cut them apart and uh, undo the teeth with. And he just stuffs them in that bag. And then he calls the police to let them know, Hey, the two people you're looking for are going to be at this campsite at this time. Cause they're going ahead of where Gina and Nick and Cliff and Sydney are. So he's, he's dropped the dime on them so that they get ratted out. And what's okay. neat is about knowing that the only reason I figured that out is because when they go back, it's Sydney and Gina and Cliff that are there to see the arrest. Nick doesn't go. And he plays it off like, nah, I'm just going to sit here and drink my weird, you know, scorpion laced vodka or whatever it is he's got. But he's really sitting there going like, mm, no, nah, I'm going to see if you come back with everybody you say you're going with. Or if I hear anything weird, like you, you can tell he's watching it. But Cliff's the one that, that dimes him out on it and sets him up. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I just, that was the one question I had was like, hmm, this helicopter comes in and gets them. And then it's like. Well, you know, from a movie standpoint, it's like, okay, this is the end of the second half or the set, the, the second, the second act. And it's like, okay, they're getting picked up. So though they are totally not it. I mean, they were obviously red herrings, but the entire time now it's kind of like, okay, now it's gotta be one of these two. And I think this is where I think, you know, for anybody who's paying attention to the movie or kind of getting, it's like, okay, it's not them. And I just don't think it's Nick and his girlfriend because it's just, that's just too obvious. And it's like, wait a minute, is it them? And luckily the movie doesn't screw around anymore. It's like, okay, we're just going to completely reveal it right now when, you know, Nick and Cliff are out on the water and she goes out there to look at the, uh, the camera, the camcorder of the wedding videos. And she sees that these aren't the people who they say they are. Yeah. And it's a great reveal because when the flashback happens right after Nick gets shot, you see this flash earlier of Sydney and Cliff sitting over there talking and they're kind of lovey-dovey on each other. But what he's doing is he's letting her smoke meth. And he is too. They kind of, you see him bury this little butane thing in the ground. You don't know why. Now you, you know why. And he's basically telling her like, we got to go through with this. We're in this together, you know, whatever. And that's when you, Gina's watching him. The whole time going, something ain't right about that. That don't look like a normal couple because again, her and Nick have been together for a long time, but they're not married, but they're still pretty affectionate with each other. And she's like, something ain't right about this. So she picks up the camera and she's flipping through those photos and she, which comes along them. It's a great, I mean, Callie Sanchez is great face acting. She's like, Oh shit. Oh really? And she drops that camera cause she sees, you know, Nick going off with Cliff in this kayak to the cave or whatever. And she knows like, uh Oh, this is about to go bad. And she's yelling at him. Can't get his attention. She tries to call him. Her cell phone sucks. So she can't call him. And that's when she takes off tearing ass through the woods. And you can tell like Sydney knows then like, Oh man, the gig's up. Cause she looks at that camcorder too. And 
Yogovich has a great face too. She turns immediately into like Alice from Resident Evil. She's like, fine. And she just goes into Terminator mode. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a great setup. And I think what was kind of good about this movie though, too, is when they re- do the reveal of that, you know, who the bad guys are. I like though, that they were basically trying to get you to change your opinion. Not, not that you ever had a really a bad opinion about, you know, Nick and, and, and her and everything like this. It's mostly that they're slowly building up that like, these are the people you need to be rooting for. And then they do the flashbacks with them as well, showing them, you know, going, you know, she's at the jewelry store and trying to like, you know, tell the lady there, she's like, he's going to come in here. Cause he's going to be wondering what I was doing in here. You need to show him these three rings. And so you're thinking like, okay, yeah, she's really into him and everything like this. And then also like, he comes in and then he has the ring and he's yeah. kind of like, yeah, you know, how, how's the ring? And the lady's like, well, she's going to love it anyways. Cause you're the one that picked it all for her and stuff. So it doesn't matter which one you got her. So, it's kind of like a nice, like almost like kind of building up of them. And then at the same time, right after that, the stripping down of them where it's like, okay, these guys are real pieces of crap. And yeah, I, I, t- I tell you this when uh, Steve's on though, with those freaking dilated pupils, that, that that's pretty freaky when you look at him because oh, yeah, he's yeah, playing it, it, insane drug user, um, whatever, like really, really well. <laughs> oh yeah. If you've ever been running by this, like really little tweaking at that moment, it's the eyes. I mean, the, the guy even calls it out to him when he catches up to him. Uh, it's like, man, uh, you say she's the one on meth, but your eyes look like olives right now. <laughs> and, you know, she looks normal. And it's, yeah, he does it. It's a great you know, trick. I don't know if that's CGI, if they put some context in on the dude. The other thing you get too is they, they had a great line earlier where Nick is telling him, like, your situational, aware- your situational awareness kind of sucks. And then when Nick has gotten, you know, in front of him in the kayak in the cave, he takes off those glasses breaks him in half and pulls a gun out of nowhere and by the way i'm like where did you get that but whatever so he's got this gun and he gets to throw that line back at nick like your situational awareness really sucks and when nick turns around and i mean what a great move to turn around and uh cliff shoots him in the back of the head and the first thing i thought was like He's going to be okay because he's got a plate in the head. He's got that metal plate in his head. He's talked about it. And he drops off into the water. And that's when we get the flashback where you see he shot the other guy in the back of the head when he turned around on him at the same you know, exact way almost. Like it, it's just a, a neat little poetic synergy. And then you get the whole flashback of how they created this backstory and all this stuff. And normally this kind of flashback would annoy me. Except that's what kicks this movie into overdrive. It's what I say. The movie starts happening now because every, you know, uh, poor old Kylie Sanchez, Gina is up above the cliff, sees this happen and yells. And then that's when he turns on her, starts shooting her. She has a great fight, uh, with, uh, with Sydney. And can we talk about some of the violence here, man? Like there's some serious knife violence in this movie. Like we're getting stick out of legs. We're cutting fingers in half like Jason in part four. I mean, it's pretty brutal. Yeah, no, I, I like the fight scenes at the end here. I mean, I thought it was actually kind of good too. Like when she knocks Milojovic into the water and she's on top and she's kind of like, okay, what's going on? What's going on? And she's right there and she's trying to get through on her cell phone. And then she sees Milojovic out on the kayak and just like kind of slowly going further out. And she's like, what the hell's going on here? Like, what is she doing out here? And you realize that like Steve Zahn was waiting on the edge of the cliff and she was basically telling him like when to get up there and to grab her when she was close enough and everything. And yeah, I mean, she gets down and then she runs into some of the other, you know, people that are just exploring the Island there. And then, you know, they have the whole thing and Steve ends up or uh, Rocky, I guess at this point ends up basically killing them all. 
And I just, I thought that was a great scene though, too. And she's like sitting there, she's pleading with these people. And they're the one guy's like, Hey, you know, I think he's like a paramedic or something. And he's like, you got to calm down. You got to calm down. You're freaking out. And then he calls out Steve, you know, Rocky about his eyes looking like black olives. And, you know, she's, he's like, okay, I'm going to kill you guys now. But, yeah. um, that was a good story, yeah. fellas. And then he shoots them all dead, which is what you do. I mean, we should say Gene has been stabbed in the leg at this point. She's falling down a cliff. She got shot in the hand as as uh, Cliff is you know throwing bullets up at her, uh, you know just spraying everything he can at her. So she's pretty well beat up at this point. She's just seen her longtime you know relationship shot in the head. She has no idea he's alive. You know she doesn't know what's going on. And now the people that were there to help her are all dead. And this guy is coming after her. And it, it, when he goes to shoot her, ah, the gun's empty. So now he's got to you know, he's got to change that out and do all this stuff and we should mention too she like he puts his hand down to kind of plant on top of the cliff and she absolutely stakes him with the switchblade that she pulled out of her leg so he's got a, a hand wound so he's only got one hand as it is uh when when he's yeah. still chasing it's more, her. more than a hand wound i mean she cut him from you know webbing down to palm I mean, well, that's the, yeah, that's the left hand from him. You know, yanking it out of the ground when Nick jumps off the cliff at him as he's reloading that gun, he hits him with that hatchet and absolutely splits his hand from between the two middle fingers all the way down to the palm. And we get again, if you've seen Friday the 13th, the final chapter, same thing happens to Jason at the end of that movie. Yeah. He's got the lobster hands at that point. I mean, that's, uh, for pretty gross and everything. And that, and then we basically come to the climax here where uh, Mila Jovich ended up getting picked up by the helicopter out there. And she's got them to believe that Nick is the one who killed the couple that, you know, that, and cause he's basically, they got Rocky down. He's, you know, dead to rights. And at the last second, you know, um, Nick decides not to kill him. He's just like, well, you know, I- well, th- there's, a, there's a great speech going on, though, because this is Steve Zahn's best scene, honestly, is he is yeah. going off on, on Nick going like, hey, man, I'm, it's going to be me that catches up to you. One day somebody's going to bump into you. It may not look like me, but it's going to be me because he's totally loped out of his head that he's just going to jump bodies and live on like, you know, falling or some nonsense. Right. And he's talking all this stuff. And I mean, Nick's got a gun under his chin and he's got a knife in his throat. This guy is deader than a doornail. And what saves him, though, is Gina runs up and throws her arms around Nick and pulls him away and says, no, don't do it. And that's when that's when Sydney realizes, wait a minute, this is for real. And the cops are like, hold on a minute. Who's who again? And then she gives up you know, Rocky. Yeah, I think she totally sees what happens there and realizes like that's what, you know, love is or you know whatever you want to say it is like okay those two actually have like a real relationship and i think she realized right there that her entire relationship with rocky has never been like that it's not that Mm -hmm. and it's just kind of like she's giving it up she's like you know what i'm not protecting this piece of crap anymore is you know i'm seeing firsthand what you know a good guy is and everything like this and he's not that so yeah she ends up you know giving him up and of course then he tries to make a move for the gun and then the sniper ends up you know blasting him in the head and uh you know putting him down yeah i mean it's it's brutal and it's quick and it's fast and it's over and I mean, it's it's amazing though. But we should talk about like how Timothy Oliphant comes comes off like Rambo coming up out of that water finally. What she realizes he's kind of hidden in the back of the cave and he just had enough of his lips out of the water to be able to breathe after he got shot. And he gets back on his kayak and he's he feels the back of his head. You see that flap sitting down and that little dent in the plate. 
And he just tucks his head back up, puts his hat, hat on, and puts a bandana around it. And then the hatchet, which had fallen from the sky, was a great thing and had landed in the kayak. Uh, uh, you Miraculously, he picks that sucker up. And I'm like, oh, it's Rambo time. It's on. And I was like, what a great scene, though, because it's like, OK, that's how we're going to do it. And uh, it's just neat to watch him come back to life. Well, and they, and they set it up almost because the entire thing, like what Gina says throughout the movie, is that he's he, you can't kill him. Yeah, he's it's hard like, to kill. He's, yeah, he's had like all these incidents where it's like he should have died, but he can't. Like he just doesn't die. He's just the, you know, not not to say he's like a cockroach or something like that, but it's like he just he's hard to kill. And I think that it's it's kind of a nice little callback, especially if you watch the movie as being like, okay, you know, it's kind of like this is a movie where it's like they wrote it and then switched it as far as, you know, like all the exposition, you know, the way all the exposition and everything works. It's just, like I said, it's, it's a very, very tight script. What makes it fun too, again, on a rewatch is to realize that who, who the killers are obviously and watching them try to manipulate all the situations. And what you realize is that they got undone because Rocky ran into somebody that was better at manipulating people than he is. He just wasn't evil. You know, he's just he's just a soldier. He's just tough. Just a good old boy. And it, that it's just so neat to watch him think he's so intellectually superior. And this guy that, you know, again, would have been going nowhere in life had he not found his calling in the military. Right. Um, and obviously still you know, can't get off the duff and ask his long term girlfriend to marry him. He's got his you know issues. That guy outdid him. And it's just neat to watch the ego burst there. And it's a sad moment, too, for Sydney, because she's talked about. How, you know, she she wants to be loved, but she'll she'll deal with the fact that he can tell her he loves her, even though he doesn't really. And she knows that. And like you said, she sees what real love is on that that uh, island and then decides, you know what, I've screwed my life up enough. There's I'm either going to die or go to prison. I think I'd rather live and be in prison than live with myself. And because what is she going to do at that point? Right. Shoot both of them. Yeah, you know, like this ain't gonna make any sense. Like you're never gonna be able to talk about how this guy's hands are cut in half and stuff. Plus, what good's it gonna do now? And so she makes the the right decision. And then we get well, to end uh, on a good laugh. As every good thriller, there should be a release from the balloon at the end, right? And he proposes, and she's like, "What took you so long?" And then in unison, "No honeymoon." And I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it's like, nope, we're not doing this. We're staying home. <laughs> Let's yeah, go totally. back home. <laughs> Yep, exactly. But yeah, yeah, it's a, like I said, it's it's one of these movies too. I feel like, you know, it has a lot of rewatchability, kind of like I said with Fight Club, where it's like it's good to go back and kind of see how things add up because again, I, I knew the twist going into this movie when I rewatched it or when I you know, and I watched it nine years ago or whatever it is. So I remember that twist. And so when I got to rewatch this, I got to rewatch it knowing that you know, these people were the killers. And I just think it, it's it's really it's like I said, it's a very, very tight script. It's very well done. Yeah, totally. And we're at the part of the podcast where it's time to give final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. So, Nick, what are yours for a perfect getaway? Uh, for me, it's a large popcorn. I think this is a it's a great, you know, Saturday night movie. If there, you know, there's nothing else on. I think it's a, a movie where, like I said, the script is very tight. I it's nice because it's just a handful of actors. Yeah, there's a you know a couple peripheral characters in the background, but it's a very, very intimate piece about, you know, basically four different people. And like I said, I think the just the acting's great in here, and this is kind of a movie that kind of, even though, like you said, like I remember Timothy Oliphant from things like you know uh, Scream Two or uh, Gone in sixty seconds, or I think it was like The Girl Next Door, like things like that where he kind of plays like a scumbag. 
But this is a movie where I was kind of like, ah, oh, you know what? He's actually a pretty good actor, and I, I like what he's putting on here. So uh got me into other stuff too, like, you know, like Justified and Deadwood and everything like this. So it's a very good branching off movie from that perspective. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 a solid, large popcorn movie. I had a lot, a lot of fun watching this, and I'm probably going to be another movie that I watch again probably in the next couple of years. Yeah, I would tell you, man, everything about this movie should be a medium popcorn. Like it's kind of built to be that good medium, kind of goes down easy, nothing real big popcorn. But that third act turn and the the adrenaline and overdrive that this third act runs on makes this movie skyrocket right into that large popcorn category for me, too. Because if the ending ha- hadn't gone well, if it had missed like a lot of these twist thrillers do, then it would have been medium popcorn land. But it's so good getting to that point. And then the best part is when you go back and watch it again, because now that it's blown, it's like, well, can I ever watch this movie again? Absolutely. You watch it living up to that anticipation of when that pin's going to get pulled out of that grenade and we're going to know. And I'm, I'm telling you totally worth your time. Absolute fun blast of a movie to watch. Uh, highly recommend and large popcorn for me as well. Uh, just a ton of fun and glad we got to revisit it at a time when, hey, look, you know, we're all kind of stuck at home right now. We're working. We're getting through this. We're going to get through it together. So I'm glad we got to re- revisit this one. And then, hey, if, if you can get a little you know, vicarious vacation uh, alongside of some rampant violence and murder, why not? Yeah, totally. And I think after even this, I think, uh, you know, me and Jay, we live pretty close to each other. I think uh, we'll have to do a couple's vacation off to Hawaii. So maybe only one, maybe only two of us come back. We'll have to see. So. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. <laughs> well, folks, you can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com, as well as feeds to everywhere you can subscribe and download the show Google, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, you name it, we're there. You can follow the show's social media at Filmstrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram and Filmstrip Podcast on Facebook. We appreciate your support. Until next time, for Nick, I'm Jay. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17.